welcome to prime time. This week, Prime Cuts. David Cameron appointed Foreign Secretary. Hello, and welcome to Prime Cuts, where we talk backbench business and answer the questions you didn't know you had about modern British politics. I'm John. I'm Rob. And I'm Cass. And this week, David Cameron is back. Inexplicably. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe explicably. David Cameron is indeed back. Welcome, everyone, to Prime Cuts, our little series on a series where we go through all the stuff that's either going on currently or the weird stuff that lurks beneath the surface in modern British politics. Or the weird stuff that lurks in modern British politics. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect Venn diagram. (laughs) And we look right in the middle. And this is a little emergency broadcast, isn't it? It is. It's our first emergency podcast. Sound the alarms, everyone. That's fun. So recently we have had a reshuffle. And so we'll definitely do a special episode on reshuffles because they are absolutely wild sometimes. But basically it is that time where the Prime Minister, who is in charge of all the government ministers, there are about a hundred or so-ish government ministers, the reshuffle is when the Prime Minister goes I'm going to reshuffle everything. They fire loads of people, they bring loads of people in, even the people who stay, they just shove them around into different jobs. It can be a really wild reset. There were lots of politically interesting things that happened in the last reshuffle, but the constitutional thing of interest that happened was that David Cameron was appointed Foreign Secretary. This is interesting for, I think, four reasons. Can we guess what those are? Yes, we'll go through each one with a bong first, but you, you just just you give us the ones that you think might be interesting. He wasn't an MP at the time. That is reason number two. Yeah, wasn't he like in his shed? Wasn't he like hanging out in a shed? He was hanging out in his nice shed at the bottom of his garden. Oh, oh, I have to come up with a reason why the whatever. I mean, he's done. He's been PM. Can you come back and do do stuff? That is reason number one. Oh, okay. You've got two of the four. I think. Let's Honestly, just, we're doing you've well. done pretty well. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's start off with reason one. Reason one, shed. Okay. <laughs> Interesting reason number one is that David Cameron is a former prime minister. This is quite unusual. Most former prime ministers are dead. Well, <laughs> that's true. Most of them in the series are dead. But even the ones that aren't dead just sort of go away once they've been PM. It's not unheard of for them to come back. Uh, but it has not happened in about 50 years. But the other thing that's not unheard of and is in fact a little bit of a trend in semi-modern times is PMs getting a peerage after they resigned, but some time after they initially declined and then later on going, oh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll have that. And so actually this is in some ways quite a traditional step. True, but it's more, it's not just that he's been given a peerage, it's that he's re-entering government and becoming a minister in someone else's government. Mm. So some people can be quite political after they leave. Theresa May is staying in the House of Commons and is being quite active and quite vocal about things. Ted Heath did exactly the same. Harold Macmillan entered the Lords, but was quite a sort of anti-Thatcher or sort of quasi-anti-Thatcher voice for quite a few years. But this is the first time in 50 years that a PM has come back as an actual minister in someone else's government. It's slightly unusual, but we had quite a few in the early 20th century who came back. Uh, We had three Prime Ministers, Baldwin, Macdonald and Chamberlain, all came back as this odd job called Lord President of the Council, which is one of these, again, very ancient jobs that's sort of a job, but not really a job, but it's a way to get you into government, theoretically, sort of behind the scenes, giving advice rather than any big ministerial role. We're definitely going to do a Prime Cuts episode on Lord President of the Council and also Lord Privy Seal and other sinecures. I love the Lord Privy Seal. <laughs> I know, it's one of the best. But we have also had, in the last century and a bit, three Prime Ministers who have come back 
with actual big beefy jobs. And let's see if we can spot a pattern here. We had Arthur Balfour, PM from 1902 to 1905. He came back later and became Foreign Secretary. Alec Douglas Hume, 63 to 64, he came back afterwards as Foreign Secretary. (laughs) And now David Cameron, 2010 to 2016, has come back as Foreign Secretary. So, can you spot the pattern? Well, they were all Prime Ministers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes. and there's a second bit of the pattern, which is all... No, They all went to Eton. (laughs) They all... That's a... mm, Good question. I've got the stats here if you want to know. Yeah, do it. Look it up. This is one of those moments where I suggest a ridiculous thing and then turn out to be right. (laughs) Balfour did go to Eton, and so did Alec Douglas. Oh, there we go. The third bit of the puzzle. They all went to Eton. I was right. (laughs) (laughs) That is brilliant. So you're right. That's actually three bits of the puzzle. But ignoring the Eton bit, uh, they have all become foreign secretary. So why do you think, if you're going to bring a PM back, make them foreign secretary and nothing else? Uh, Okay, is it because you can send them away? You can send them away. And I think that is part of the interesting bit, because... They're big, they're famous, they've been PM, they've got this kudos, this knowledge, these contacts all around the world. But you can also just send them away. A foreign secretary (laughs) spends most of their time on a plane in foreign countries, not really interfering in domestic politics. I find it interesting talking to people abroad about British political leaders, because they don't tend to see the scandals, um, and they tend to just know them as that British person who maybe got involved in the Ukraine conflict or something like that and they'll have only seen the sort of the the broad sweep things and therefore I feel like there's it's both how it's perceived internally that the foreign secretary is this person who's far away but also how it's perceived externally in that well this is a a household name somebody that they actually know exactly whereas many other foreign secretaries who are just random MPs who've been made foreign secretary don't have that name recognition at least initially so there can be something quite attractive about making a PM foreign secretary but only if they are in the job that requires them to go far away and not be involved in a very sort of are you better than the last prime minister sort of comparison, as would happen if they stayed at home. So there we go. That is definitely the first interesting reason, former prime ministers. We have not had one come back in 50 years, and now we have. Interesting reason number two is the reason that you also touched upon, which is he's not a member of parliament. He's not in the House of Commons. And not only is he not in the House of Commons, when he was appointed... He wasn't in the House of Lords either. If you know the rules, we are a parliamentary system, so every single minister, the sort of 100 of them or so that the PM appoints, has to be in Parliament, because they always come back to Parliament, they get questioned, they give statements. That is where they're accountable to. You say that, but I have two things. First off, when did he technically become a Lord? Because you're allowed to start telling people from a surprisingly early point. This is... Very well foreshadowed, because this is my next point, which is, at time of recording, Lord Cameron is not a lord. (gasps) It takes a couple of weeks to sort it all out, get the paperwork done, get the king to sign on the dotted line. Schroding is lord. Schroding is lord. People are calling him Lord Cameron, but he's not. I'm not calling him Lord Cameron, who's calling him Lord Cameron? (laughs) Everyone but cares. What if the king's like, nah? The king is not allowed to be like, nah, because Mm. the prime minister is in charge. So yeah, this is the position. He's not an MP, and he hasn't been an MP since he stepped down as Prime Minister, because he resigned from the House of Commons on the same day. He just left everything. But he's not a Lord. But he's still Foreign Secretary. How can he do that? So I do also want to point out that it is possible to hold positions without being in Parliament, and you've given us an example of someone who did. Alec Douglas Hume. Alec Douglas Hume. You're quite right, who was briefly, not only Foreign Secretary, he was briefly Prime Minister when he wasn't in Parliament. What? We'll come to that in his episode. So that is one option. The option of, yeah, you're meant to be in Parliament, but 
if you're not for a few days or a week or something because the paperwork's going through, that's fine. The more interesting reason is that it's fine that he's not in Parliament because he's not Foreign Secretary either. What? What? He's not Foreign Secretary. He's been appointed. It's been published. It's been tweeted. He's gone to the Foreign Office. He's shaken hands. Today, I think he was in Ukraine. But he's not Foreign Secretary. He is the Foreign Secretary. You just told us he's the Foreign Secretary. There is something called the Privy Council. That is the big group of ministers and former ministers and basically all these important people who are technically the king's advisers. And every few weeks, because the king is at the centre of the constitution, the king has to sign off everything. The king has to sign things, he's got to appoint people, he's got to approve things. So every couple of weeks, there's something called a meeting of the Privy Council, which is when a small handful of ministers come to the palace for a very, very short meeting, hand over some documents, say some things, the king signs some things, says the word approved quite a lot to make things the law. And one of the things that happens in Privy Council meetings is new ministers come, they swear an oath, and the king says, you are now officially minister for whatever. And the cabinet manual is very clear, until this happens, you're not in office. David Cameron has not been to a meeting of the Privy Council yet. (laughs) He's just been to Ukraine. He's just been to Ukraine. So he hasn't been appointed, he hasn't been officially confirmed by the king, so he's not the Foreign Secretary. Wow. Okay, so... so, What what is he? Oh, so many questions. (laughs) Begin. Well, what what is he? Well... What's he doing? Nothing. Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron, at time of recording, is not a Lord or Foreign Secretary. Nor is he a Privy or a (laughs) Seal. Is there a precedent for this? There are quite a few precedents, and the precedents are basically every single time a Secretary of State is appointed. They sort of wait a few days before the next Privy Council meeting for them to be appointed. But everyone just pretends. Everyone just goes along with it for a few days because it's easier to just pretend that they are in office, even if they're technically not, than just have all these vacancies. So basically, Lord David Cameron is as much of a lord as I am. Correct. And he is as much Foreign Secretary as you are. Incredible. That's so funny. everyone's pretending for the next few days just because that's easier. That's... (laughs) such a British constitutional understanding, isn't it? It is so British. Especially if you say that the cabinet... Because I could understand if the cabinet manual said, oh, well, I mean, so long as the paperwork is submitted later, then we can pretend from this point. But the fact that we actually say, no, you are officially not, and yet at the same time, here is your pass, there's a jet ready to fly you to a war zone. Exactly. In a few days, the peerage will come through, there'll be a Privy Council meeting where he'll get appointed. It's all fine. He's going to be these things, but just for the next few days, he's literally not. And everyone knows that he's not, but everyone pretends that he is. That is reason number two, but it is probably the most interesting reason, Mm. which renders the entire title of this podcast wrong. Oh, yeah. Much like the rest of our podcast being about prime ministers. It's a British constitutional understanding. Everything is a lie. (laughs) They're not prime ministers, they're not foreign secretaries. It's all nonsense. (laughs) Yes, but no. We should rename our podcast Yes, But No. (laughs) Yes, but no, Minister. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) Interesting reason number three, which, again, hasn't happened yet, but in a couple of days when he does actually become Lord Cameron, that's an interesting thing. He's a Lord, which is nowadays quite unusual. You know the rule that you have to be in Parliament and you can be in either House of Parliament to be a Minister, but there is an increasing trend of having most Ministers from the House of Commons. Sure. And not only most ministers, but most senior ministers. So if you remember the structure of departments, government departments have one top minister, the Secretary of State, and then between four and six 
like little mini helper ministers underneath. <laughs> the way it works is, nowadays, every Secretary of State is always from the House of Commons. Every department has at least one Lord Minister from the junior ministers, because the House of Lords needs someone they can ask questions to from every department. And they usually have a super generic remit, so that that way they can be asked questions on everything by the Lords. Yeah, exactly. But we have now basically completely stopped the tradition of having Secretaries of State from the House of Lords. The last time we had a Secretary of State, a department head, who was a Lord, was Peter Mandelson. Lord Mandelson was the business secretary from 2008 to 2010. So we haven't had any Secretary of State as a Lord since 2010. But the last time we had one of the great offices of state, one of these top four jobs, including the Foreign Secretary, as a Lord, was Lord Carrington, who was Margaret Thatcher's Foreign Secretary in the very early 1980s. So David Cameron is reversing, basically, 40 years of tradition of not having had any of the top four jobs as a Lord and now he's doing it, which is particularly unusual. And it has raised quite a few questions about accountability. So the House of Commons has got quite used to having every single Secretary of State, every single of these department heads to question. They quite like having them. And now they don't. They've got lots of these junior ministers, lots of MPs who are junior ministers in the Foreign Office can come to the House of Commons and answer questions and all that sort of stuff, but not the main guy. And there have been a few questions in the House of Commons. Some people are saying we could change the rules to maybe allow Lord Cameron to turn up to the House of Commons as if he were an MP to answer questions. But the government says, no, we'll do it the traditional way. He's in the Lords. That's fine. He will get questioned by the Lords. The House of Commons has plenty of junior Foreign Office ministers they can question instead. That doesn't mean that he will have an easier time in the Lords. I mean, the House of Lords is absolutely stuffed full of former ambassadors, former foreign office officials, former spies. Ooh, oh, yeah. that's fun. Can we do an episode on spies? It, it will be hard because we don't know who they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be really funny. <laughs> Welcome to Prime Cuts, spying. We have no idea. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> but yeah, so the House of Lords is, is really stuffed full of people with real foreign affairs knowledge. So he'll probably get some proper good grilling in there. But maybe the Foreign Secretary should be an MP and accountable to the House of Commons just because. That's a principle that some people think should apply, but others are taking the more traditional route. Can they ask him about stuff that he did when he... Like, is he going to walk in there and they're going to be like, right, so what was up with Brexit? Like, why the hell? (laughs) What colour is your shepherd's hut? (laughs) They are meant to ask him questions relating to his remit. I know, boring. No gossip. But there we go. That is interesting reason number three. He is not only a Secretary of State, he is one of the great Secretaries He's of State. He's actually not a Secretary of State. Uh, so, sorry. In a few days' time, he will be a Secretary of State and a big one in the Lords, which we have not had at all for about 15 years, and we haven't had any of the big ones for about 40. But interesting reason number four, the final interesting reason, I think is definitely the most important, which is that David Cameron, seven years after stepping down as Prime Minister, seven years after leaving Parliament, has just boosted his primetime review score. I was thinking about this because I was trying to work out if we should give them points for things that happen after their Prime Minister. And I thought, well, we absolutely should. But the thing is, this is a big... No, I didn't expect anyone to step into a great office. Exactly. This is... He's, he's going to take a peerage, two oh. points for a barony, okay. and another point for a great office of state. Oh. We only score out of 100, and he's picked up three points just like that. I think that's why he did it. 
I was wondering about this. This is suspicious. We've just started this podcast. I think it cannot be coincidence. Surely the timing, I mean... I think one of our very few listeners that we've had so far (laughs) was David Cameron. And he was like, a Prime Minister ranking podcast. (laughs) I think I need to get some more points. He's he's the people listening from Sweden. He's the Foreign Secretary. He's going all over the place. And, you know, fair play to him. He is quick out of the blocks. He's left all the other former Prime Ministers absolutely scrambling to catch up. Do you think they're all on the phone now to their party leaders being like, I need to be foreign secretary for my prime time points. Gordon Brown. <laughs> well, uh, just shout out to any ex-prime ministers if you're listening. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the best way to get points would definitely be to come back for another term. Yes, that's true. So give that a go. Come back for a term as a duke. <laughs> <laughs> if you want points, that's the way to do it. So that is the fourth and final, and I think definitely most important reason that David Cameron becoming foreign secretary and a lord is particularly exciting. Thanks for listening to this episode on Schrodinger's Cameron. <laughs> John's just read the joke I wrote him. <laughs> oh, is it a good one? This was a Prime Cuts episode, which I hope you found peerless. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> it was a good one. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at primetime underscore cast or email us at writeonwriteoff at gmail.com. And remember... Never flinch, never weary, never despair, and subscribe to our podcast. I want a nacho. You enjoying this nacho crunch?